Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 106 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. It is hard to believe that we are two months away from Christmas. I can't even believe it. And I want to try something new this year. I want to give you, our listeners, an opportunity to send holiday greetings to whomever you'd like to, and I will include them in episodes of the podcast uh, in November and December. So all you need to do is call the following number. That is 813-434-3215. Again, that's 813-434-3215. And extend holiday greetings to a friend, a family member. Perhaps it's uh, well wishes for a speedy recovery, whatever you'd like to do. And I will include them in one of the November, December episodes of the We Have Cancer podcast. My guest this week is Noel Peters. And I had the pleasure of meeting Noel when I was up in Boston in July speaking to her organization, Foundation Medicine. Uh, Foundation Medicine is a biomedical company doing amazing work. And Noel is a scientist, and I came to find out, has also been dealing with breast cancer for the last five years. So what a appropriate guest to have on the podcast, this being Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Just a great conversation. Really enjoyed talking to Noelle and hearing all about her story. And I know that you will too. So join me now for my conversation with Noelle Peters. Noelle, it's so great to see you again. Thank you so much for making the time to, uh, to join me on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Lee. It's so great to be on the podcast. Yeah, this is a special treat. It's not often that I get to interview people after I meet them. If I occasionally I get to meet people, it is rare, but most of the time that happens after we've been introduced, you know, through Facebook or wherever. But uh, I was fortunate enough to cross paths with you uh, back in July when I was uh, speaking at your company and I uh, was uh, so taken by your story and you know we kind of formed that stage four cancer club bond that you and I have that uh, I'm so glad we were able to get together and, and do this. Yeah it was it was so great to meet you at Foundation Medicine. Um, our you know our advocacy team does such a great job bringing great speakers in and um, everyone who works there really has a strong connection to cancer and the mission there. And it was great that they um, introduced me to you and your story really spoke to me. And of course, I, you know, I 
went right up to you and I said, oh, I love, you know, I love what you're saying about we have cancer. And then you immediately showed me your tattoo of your <laughs> and your wife's hands. And I was yes. blown away by that. That's just so amazing. You have a good memory. <laughs> like, as I said, you know, I always use the words, we're living with cancer. And that's something that that I've always used. Because like I said, I, I don't want to have to say, turn around and say to a, a family or a friend, you know, my cancer's back. I just always say, you know, I'm living with this disease. That's an interesting way to look at it. And, and what's that like for you to, you know, what does that mean to you to live with the disease? Uh, you know, I, you know, I think I've shared with you already that because during my diagnosis, and I, I had a very large tumor in my breast. It was actually about the size of a baseball at diagnosis. And I had um, lymph node involvement, and it was so large that one of the nurses at the primary care center even asked me what my life insurance policies were like, you know, so that my kids would be protected. You know, they didn't expect me to be around for very long. And I was alone at the time that that was said to me. And then they, then they said they had to scan for, for, you know, other lumps and bumps. And you know how that goes, Lee, that they yeah. find, seek and you should find, right? So they find <laughs> stuff everywhere, unrelated things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My mind said, oh, you got arthritis here and you got this over there. And, and I thought of the Rodney Dangerfield as like, I was waiting for the last line of the report to say, and you're ugly too. Right. Uh, that's, <laughs> you know? that's right. You know, <laughs> there's all kinds of things that, on mine that says finding unrelated to breast cancer. I was like, oh, well, that's information we don't need. You know, it's like, I felt like we needed two lists, right? Yeah. Um, but one thing they found was a tumor on a bone. And they, the tumor was happening on the surface of the bone. So it was like both menacing and not menacing. They kept saying, well, this is like a weird, it's in a weird place on your bone that wouldn't be breast cancer, but because it's on the surface that could be breast cancer. And so they tried to do a biopsy, but because it was on the bone, they, you know, they, it was a very difficult biopsy to do. And so not because they were bad doctors, they just didn't get a lot of cells. And then the cells they did pull happened to be just bone. So they didn't pull any cancer cells out. And so you want to go, yay, but it's sort of like a yay, because nobody will say 100% that it's not going to turn into a cancerous tumor, or there's not something lurking there. And so basically, nobody's going to give you the home free until you right. don't die from something else, basically. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's where I, I, you just have to find a way to most of the time make peace with the fact that you live with this disease. And I also live and work with this disease, so it's a pretty big part of my life. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's talk a little bit about that. You're a scientist. You work for, you know, a biomedical company working on cancer. And, I, and when I interview folks, and there are many of them that do advocacy work, which I know you do, and we'll talk about that, or volunteer work, and 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 me as well that sometimes you just get to the point that you just need a little break from cancer and you can't take a break from your own health you, you know it's we as you said we you know we live with it 
but sometimes you need to step away from all the other stuff. You can't do that. It's what you're paid to do. Is that hard? Well, I was I was a scientist first, and it was always my calling. Cancer was always my calling, and I, you know, before I had cancer, I always thought I knew a lot about cancer, and I, I incidentally was an administrator. I was a, you know, a manager at a cancer center, and um, I even helped design a breast cancer research floor, incidentally, you know, it came back to get me. <laughs> I was <a> joke. <laughs> and I, you know, I was bowling for colons. I was, you know, I was participating in, in, you know, volunteer activities. And I was very committed to the mission. And, and I thought I knew so much about patients, about the patient experience, about research, and about what needed to be done to solve, you know, the cancer. And then I got diagnosed. And I realized from the other side that I didn't know anything about cancer. And that it was so isolating. Once I sat in that chair, you know, and, you know, it's, the chair of cheer, yeah, as, as a friend of mine used to call it. Yeah, it's so humanizing, right? It's so yeah. humanizing, and there's so much more to be done. And I do have that unique perspective. And as an advocate on a research grant, I can really go and say, I can say to another researcher, you know, is that really a good idea? You know. I don't think you're going to get a patient to give you a second biopsy. I don't think this is going to work. You know, I don't, I think you should rewrite this study because I, I understand you want to help make a drug, but you're no, you're not going to get anyone to enroll. Let's rethink this. You know, like hmm. I, you know, I want to help you make this study better. Like, or, or, you know, are you need more African-American women on this or men are underrepresented in this you know, or, or we need to think about how to keep people healthy or, or one thing I'm really interested in now is, is stress and PTSD. And so, you know, there is an element of self-care that, you know, you're speaking about. So yes, I am 24 hours a day with cancer, mm -hmm. but we all need to practice a little self-care, myself included, because the PTSD that we're all experiencing after cancer is enormous and that goes for our doctors too right you know mm -hmm. sure um, sure yeah i i recently have become a lot more involved in talking to palliative care doctors and i really am um i really think palliative care is is something that all cancer patients what regardless of stage should engage um, palliative care is part of their treatment. And um, I, I talked to the palliative care doctors at my center and they, one of them recommended a great book to me. And I think the last 150 pages said to do yoga. I was like, there was one word on this, in this book, yoga, <laughs> yoga, yoga, right. yoga, yoga, yoga. Yeah. For folks, for folks that don't know what palliative care is, explain it. So it's, it's, it's not hospice. A lot of people get it confused with hospice, which is where is really end of life care. Um, but it's 
palliation of symptoms. It's really um, taking care of you. Um, it's supplemental care to your medical care and where your doctors are really um, treating your symptoms. And it's really alleviation of pain, supplementing your actual medications and um, with other alternate treatments. And sometimes it can be medication, sometimes it can be meditation. <laughs> sometimes it can, yeah, and yoga and it's alternate strategies and um yeah i read an article today written by a friend of mine sarah deboard from the colon cancer coalition and the word she used i'd not seen this word but i thought it was so spot on was layers additional layers of care and i thought that explained it so perfectly and support and support Mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. and it's support for your doctors as well it's like it's really a team approach and communication is also a large part of it amongst the team and amongst your family and amongst you it's it's really a multi-dimensional treatment plans are a big part of it I'm very you know I'm the more I learn about it the more the more positive I feel about it yeah so you had a lot going on at one time I mean you know to move across the country to a new city and then around the same time get this diagnosis you know what what was the impact you know on you and your family with all this happening at the same time yeah well I would say you know impacts is probably a more <laughs> more okay. um, a- appropriate description and and I think I've revealed to you that there were both positive and negative outcomes you know if there's a crack in your life you know cancer you know will will open some holes and close others my marriage did not survive my cancer experience unfortunately but my relationship with my father healed during this time. Like my father and I hadn't been very close in the years before that. Um, but he is—he and I speak almost every day and he's become such an important part of my children's lives. And they had just moved closer to their grandparents. And now if they don't see their grandparents within a few days, they're asking to see them even as teenagers, which is kind of amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of your kids, uh, I will never forget uh, the first time second time, the third time, the fourth time <laughs> that I had to tell my children that about my disease, but certainly nothing was harder than the first time, yeah. I think. What was that experience like? Easily the worst day of my life. You know, they, I think my oldest was really kind of onto it. Um, she, there's, there were, you know, a lot of appointments that, you, you know, as, the more advanced your disease is, the the worse it is, the the harder it is to get a diagnosis. So I was going back and forth to doctors and, you know, as we joke, like they're putting tubes in you and you're going in and out of tubes to get that diagnosis. <laughs> lots of tubes. <laughs> lots of tubes. <laughs> no shortage of tubes. And um, she, so she was really suspicious. She was 11 at the time and we had just moved across the country. So fortunately, we moved back to a great medical area and moving back to Boston. But so, but she had just started middle school, so it was very challenging for her. So, um, so she was very suspicious, and I don't, I don't remember exactly how the words came out. I, I don't think that was as important as like the time 
you know, what was going on at the time. I just remember it being really intense for her being in middle school and having to have her mom lose her hair. And, and she just, you know, as bad as it is to have your mom pick you up at middle school, having your bald mom pick you up at middle school is like mm. 8 million times worse, you know? Um, and then my son, my son was more, he was more sensitive and more apt to get, you know, asked for help. So he would just, he was very, you know, he would go to school and say, my mom is sick, I need help. And people would give him a hug. And so he was like, I didn't worry so much about him. And then my youngest was four. And so she was just sort of like, it didn't really sink into her. And she's sort of like, call her water off a duck's back anyway. Like, you know, and she would say like, oh, I'm sorry of cancer. Like, you know, please get me some juice. <laughs> you know, like, didn't really matter. <laughs> like, right. You know. Like she would say, she would even say, that's sad. I'm sorry. You don't feel good. That's sad. Can I have some mac and cheese? (laughs) (laughs) Typical four-year-old. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I often see people posting in the various Facebook groups talking about their struggle to stay hydrated. And if that applies to you, you should check out H2ORS. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution. It's a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So for those of you who are struggling with this issue of staying hydrated, either due to an ostomy or perhaps chemotherapy, H2ORS is something for you to consider. It'll really help replenish your fluids and electrolyte levels. As a matter of fact, it has three times the electrolytes of most of the popular sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavor, or artificial colors. My buddy Chris Shaw over at H2ORS is offering listeners of the podcast an opportunity to try a free sample of H2ORS. All you need to do is just go to their site, h2ors.com forward slash sample, and they'll ship a free sample out to you, no strings attached. And when you're ready to make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the coupon code CCPOD, they'll give you 10% off your first order. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. So you you mentioned two things that I want to dive into you a little bit. You know, every cancer has two things in common. They have their color and they have their month, right? Yeah. And this being October, um, you can't take three steps and not see pink. And we used to just roll with it and and laugh at it and you know be used to walking into the grocery store and seeing pink labels on soup cans and uh, pink blenders in the department store and all this craziness and not thinking any of it. But now people are coming more vocal about this, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the pink washing of America during the month of October. Yes, this is a loaded question. <laughs> so it, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> so, um, so I have taken different approaches every year. Um, so I was tr- I'm trying to be very zen and thoughtful about it this year. In years past, so last year I think I had a really good approach and I said, let's not be just aware. Um, let's take action. And I put a bin out on my porch and I said, please donate 
um, things for care packages and I brought them to my medical center. Um, and I just don't have time to do that this year. And, um, and but somebody reposted that post from last year, which I thought was amazing. And so I, mm. I shared that online today and I was like, yeah, that's great that somebody sh like saved my post from last year and said, let's not make it awareness month. Let's make it action month. I'm like, yay somebody listened at least one person listened to me last <laughs> last year <laughs> like um sadly yesterday i lost a friend to breast cancer um which is so like sorry. yeah it's terrible and um you know i remind myself that in this world of breast cancer and cancer, um, because I really think the lines of cancer are blurring, like it's all one disease. Um, and, you know, I'm so happy to meet you. And I don't want I, I, I don't like to put us in buckets of each cancer, but we're talking about pink, pink people right now. Um, but I was a little annoyed at my friend um, for dying during pink month because I was like, could you just wait till <laughs> could you wait till it wasn't the pinktober month? Like, um, but I, I do remind myself that it's so much better to know and love and cherish these friendships than to have the fear of getting to know people um, with disease. Like, that's what I remind myself. Mm. Um, and as far as the pink washing goes, um, I have a dear friend that loves the pink ribbons and she said to me like a month ago, she's like, can I give you a pink t-shirt with a ribbon on it? And I was like, well, why would I say no to that? Because it came from you. The problem with the pink ribbon merchandise is that often people are just making money from it for profit and not for cancer or cancer related um, charities or activities. Um, and so a really good example of that is the NFL. Um, by and large, the NFL has not donated a lot of the money they make off historically. I don't know what they're doing lately. Historically, uh, only a small fraction of the money off of the pink socks ever went to breast cancer. Um, there were some guys that paid for women's mammograms because their moms died and that was great um but you know you know and every so often when somebody tries to sell me something in the pink ribbon i ask them you know where's the money going and if they can't answer i don't right, buy it right. um, but it takes a lot of energy to do, <laughs> to do that and um the fact of the matter is that breast cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in women and that number is increasing. The first leading cause of cancer death in women is lung cancer. And in the last two years, the amount of thera therapies for lung cancer has gone, has skyrocketed. And that's so amazing and so wonderful. Yeah, you see them advertised on TV. Yeah. Goodness, you know. Yeah, and, you know, thanks to companies like the one I work for, where we're, we're matching these therapies with, with, diagnosis and and actually blurring the lines between lung like i said lung breast colon uh, which is what should happen we call it pan cancer like all cancers like you know it should just be like you have this gene you know you have gene a 
and drug right. this drug matches gene A. It's a smarter way to treat cancer. Um, yeah. Uh, but so the fact of the matter remains, it's very damaging to survivors and men get cancer breast cancer as well it's very damaging to men and women with breast cancer when somebody walks up to you and says oh you have breast cancer you have the best kind of cancer and that still so many people are dying from this the best kind of cancer um and so that's what when we say it's pink washing that's what we're referring to um, it's that it's the misinformation that where if if you have breast cancer and if you have stage four breast cancer, which means that you will die from breast cancer, um, that somebody is everybody is saying, oh, you're fine. You know, it's going to be OK when it's really not. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's got to be frustrating for you to see you know, the progress being made in these immunotherapies, you know, on the other cancers. And you're like, but what about us? Right? Well, that's the thing about being an advocate. So that's the thing that energizes me instead of making me, me tired. So I now I go and sit on these research boards and I get to see that there is progress being made now. Um, so I know that we're working very hard towards why we used to talk about breast tissue being immunologically cold, which was such a bad description. Um, But, but progress is being made and it's not, it's going to work. It's just going to take a little longer. We, We just need to figure it. There's, there's really smart people working on that problem. Um, and you know, it's this, um, you know, there are challenges in colorectal cancer, as you know, like, yeah, so it's not, some things are hitting faster than others. Um, uh, but it, and a lot of it goes back to the work that you doing every day is that, you know, two people, five people can have colon cancer and all five of them have a different type of colon cancer that are going to respond to treatments differently. That's right. Um, that's right. We need to we need to start talking about it differently. And I think, you know, as an advocate, that's that's why we're here. We're changing the dialogue around um, around cancer and survivorship too. Yeah, yeah, and and so is the company you work for, Foundation Medicine. So, for those folks that uh, missed my interview with Dr. Reddy. Uh, earlier in the summer talking a little bit about some of the great things that are happening at Foundation Medicine. Uh, Could you bring our listeners kind of up to date on the work you're doing and especially, uh, you know, the big FDA approval that was received for, um, oh, uh, I should be a better host. C, help me. (laughs) CX. I knew that was. Yeah. I was going to say CXD, CDX. Thank you. So it's, but uh, tell us, tell us about you know uh, the work that Foundation Medicine does, and um, you know uh, the, the the things that they're working on. So Foundation Medicine has a, a genomic test for um, for genes uh, that uh, we can test um, in cancer cells. Um, so we can test your your tumor biopsy or your blood. Um, for cancer, um, and we can match them to diagnostics. That's what CDX is, a companion diagnostic. 
that's what CDX stands for. So if we, if you send your, if you ask your doctor to send your tumor biopsy or your blood into Foundation Medicine, some of them already do it automatically, or you can inquire about it with your medical center, um, or your doctor, your nurse, or just um, go online. There's more information about it at foundationmedicine.com. I sound like an infomercial now, Lee. That's okay. Uh, um, um, What it does is it will look at all the genes represented um, that we know we can test for and see if there's a medication either available um, already approved by the FDA or in a clinical trial. Um, Even if it's um, approved for another disease indication, say it's approved for colon cancer, but even if if you have lung cancer, um, that drug might work for your cancer. Um, We'll let you know and we'll let your medical team know and then they can make an informed decision. Basically, we're gonna give that information to your medical team to help inform the decisions. So not only has this test been approved by the FDA, I, it's also covered by Medicare, I understand. It is, it is. That's yeah. spectacular. I'm sure that, that was, that's, that's really exciting. So, and when uh, Linda and I took a tour of, uh, of the facility when we were up there in July, the first stop was uh, uh, you know, the unpacking of all these samples that were coming in. I was watching, we were watching all these people uh, you know, behind glass who were receiving these blood samples and these tumor samples and, and getting them entered in the system and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and followed it all the way through. But uh, exciting stuff, it, really. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's, it's amazing technology. It's amazing technology. Yeah. As a uh, scientist, um, what do you think or hope the cancer landscape looks like five, ten years from now? You know, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think that I I believe that the cancer landscape is um, durable treatments durable treatments like diabetes or um, look at what's happened with AIDS. You know, people are surviving that disease with medication, right? We're not Mm -hmm. seeing massive deaths from, you know, you can live a long time, survivable, treatable conditions. That's what I see. What's amazing to me is that five years ago when I was diagnosed, I did the very morose exercise in my head. Am I going to see my daughter graduate high school? Am I going to see, you know, and I did, and I think that's very natural to do. I don't do that anymore because what's happened in the last two years is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I just go on Twitter every day and see what people are tweeting, like, because all the doctors are on Twitter. If you want to know what's happening in oncology, just go on Twitter every day. Yeah. You're on Twitter. I see. I am. Oh, yeah. I love your tweets. You're the most positive person ever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's unbelievable what's happened in the last two years alone. So in five to 10 years, it's 
it's remarkable. Now, there are types of cancer that are way behind others, but we don't have to sit there and say, am I going to see this? Am I going to see that? I have very, I have friends I'm very worried about and I'm, you know, I, I'm with them working very hard and advocating very hard and watching very closely, watching the literature, looking for those new therapeutics to hit the market, you know, watching the clinical trials um, because I don't, you know, I want success yeah. fast. But it's, sure. it's happening faster and faster, faster than I think people ever imagined. And that's just the last two years. So in five to 10 years, who knows where we're going to be? Right. I, I've heard, talked to several people who said, you know, uh, I just need to hang out long enough and be on the maintenance chemos or whatever I am long enough till the right treatment gets found that's going to take care of me and um you know what's you know what like to your point what's happened in the last two years is just you know and i'm not a scientist and and it's you know I've, I've been dealing with my disease now for seven and a half years and just all that i've seen on online and talking to people and being in foundation medicine um five years ago or when i was diagnosed in 2011 these things were dreams and right. now they're happening Right. You know, and it's just happening so quickly. So, uh, but to your point, um, if we can speed it up a little bit faster, that'd be even better. Yeah, let's do that. Just, just saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yesterday is good, right? Yeah. Yesterday, yesterday is, good. is good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if someone were to come across, uh, and hopefully they will, this conversation, uh, particularly someone who uh, they themselves or a loved one recently received a, a breast cancer diagnosis what at five years in what what advice do you have Noelle what what would you want them to know you know I think the I think there's still a lot to be said for um, you know following your instincts like taking care of yourself like I said self-care is really important and I think survivorship is really changing. I think we, it's a long end game now, right? We're not, we're talking about long-term survivorship. So we need to take care of our bodies, our minds, our friendships, you know, the people we meet. So making new friends. Um, I warn people that if I like you, we're going to become friends fast <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to tell you, I care about you quickly. So like Lee, you, we met and we became friends kind of instantly, you know, yeah. it was, yeah. um, it was a quick connection and I'm so happy to have made it, you know, with me you. as well. Me yeah. as well. Me um, as well. I think that that's the most important thing It's it, you can't, um, but also not to stress about those things. I, I mentor other women with breast cancer and, um, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they, they were saying like, um, did you change your entire diet? And I'm like, no, um, I still eat cookies. Do I eat them every day? No, but me too. Exactly. I, I, there, there may be a bourbon involved here and there. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> right. Because you can't drive yourself crazy worrying about yeah. every single thing. Yeah. Like, but yeah. you should take care of yourself 
too. Absolutely. You also sure. can't say, well, I'm going to be gone tomorrow. Time to go back to smoking Luckies every day. <laughs> <laughs> I, kn- I knew I liked you. <laughs> smoking Luckies. <laughs> yes, you're right. No, we should not smoke Luckies there's a happy, anytime. There's a happy medium. There's a happy yes. medium. No doubt. But you got to do what's right for you. Look, right. I have many people who are dear, dear friends who I've interviewed on this show who upon diagnosis just made total life changes from, you know, exercise to eliminating all sugar and vegan and all. And you know what? If that works for you, that's great. Right. That's great That if that works for you. But I, like you, so this is something else it seems like we have in common. I said, you know, I hope and pray I have a long life ahead of me. And I think I do, despite all that I've been dealing with. And I want to enjoy that time. Right. And darn it, if I want to have uh, a, a, a nice glass of bourbon tonight, I'm going to have it. Right. And if I want a scoop of ice cream tomorrow, I'm probably going to have it. Okay. Now I'm not going to do it every day and I'm not going to be in the fast food line at, uh, you know, your neighborhood, whatever burger place, uh, I'm going to make smart choices. But again, that's what works for me. And I won't tell someone you need to, those are three words for that. I've never, uh, liked in, in my vocabulary at all, anytime, right. but far be it from me to utter those words to somebody else. You got to do what's right for you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. So we're on the same page. Yeah. Well, this has been a blast, and um, I'm so glad we were able to do this. Now I feel like we really are BFFs. So, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, most importantly, uh, good, stable health. Uh, may too. all those journeys into the tube uh, turn out positively uh, as they go forward. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, just all the best to you. And, mo- and even more importantly, thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing uh, to you know, have a better outlook for those of us uh, who are dealing with the disease and unfortunately those coming behind us who are going to have to. Thanks, Lee. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on. We are winding down the year and coming up to just our last two Get Your Rear and Gear events for 2018. And they are as follows, coming up on November the 10th for our friends out in Orange County, California, is the Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run Walk. That is taking place at Miles Square Regional Park. And then the following Saturday on November 17th, is the Get Your Rear in Gear event taking place out in Houston, Texas at Baylor College of Medicine, the McNair campus. Information for both of those events can be found on the Colon Cancer Coalition website at coloncancercoalition.org forward slash events. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsors, H2ORS and the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.